0: Hey, it's Open Threads, it's my podcast, I'm Brian Castle, welcome to it. Back on the show today is my friend, Justin Jackson, who you may know from the interwebs. He's kind of the podcast guy, the Transistor FM guy, the marketing guy, but we didn't talk about any of that. Hey, here's my real-time-ish update for you, and I'm recording this one on May 6th, 2024. First, I just wanna say that once and for all, the name of this podcast, I'm sticking with the name Open Threads. (laughs) You may have noticed I had briefly renamed it there uh, in early 2024. I was using the name Full Stack Founder. Well, long story short, I'm sunsetting that brand name and that website. It was a short-lived project that just didn't quite stick. So this podcast is back to its original name, Open Threads, from here on out. Okay, so uh, my... So as for my update, uh, you know, my main focus now continues to be instrumental products. That is my product studio where I partner with clients mainly on UI and UX work. And uh, I specialize in designing modern interfaces for SaaS companies. And I deliver my designs in the form of coded HTML and Tailwind CSS templates and components. So that's the uh, the main um, service that I've been working with a couple of clients lately on and uh, it's something that I continue to uh, to really double down on the rest of this year. Other than that, I'm spending the rest of my time building out some new software products of my own to uh, to add to my small portfolio. My main SaaS product, Clarity Flow, continues to run smoothly uh, with my small team and we're always working on some imp- improvements there. So that's my update for now. On to the show. We talked about snowboarding and the early part of Justin's life when he was really into snowboarding and then made his way into the actual snowboarding industry, uh, into, uh, snowboard manufacturing, and then into snowboard and skateboarding retail. That was actually one of his first businesses that he was in. We talked all about that story and the lessons that he learned from that and how different, you know, running a a retail shop and marketing like a snowboard brand is and maybe maybe drawing some kind of connections to our world here in the uh in the software industry so it was a good one let's talk to justin about snowboarding justin jackson welcome back to open threads what's up man
1: i'm doing well brian how are you doing
0: doing good doing good we were just saying offline you know i think on this show I love just like hopping on the mics with like any founder friends just to talk about whatever. But I think we're going to get into a a phase where we're just going to start to like cycle back around to a lot of the same people. And you know, what's a big reason I started this show was because, you know, when people think about Justin Jackson these days in 2022, yeah. they're probably thinking like Transistor FM, they're thinking like podcaster, yeah. podcasting in general. Yeah. And of course, we could do a whole episode about that and sass and, and marketing yeah. and stuff like that stuff is like word association with Justin Jackson. But yeah, a big reason I started this show is because as we all know, there's so much more to what we're all into. Like, I know that you're a snowboarder. I know that in, mm-hmm. in a previous life, you, you ran a snowboard shop. I know you're a music head Work- just like I am. So we're going to get into this stuff.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it's so cool. I mean, I think what attracted me to podcasting was getting the human story behind these people I knew on the internet anyway. And to me, that's always been the most interesting and actually has been sometimes frustrating when I've done shows like Product People and Build Your Sass. Because what most people want or say they want is like tactics and like the story of how they built their business and all that. Yep. But all that other stuff is so interesting to me, what people are, you know, into on the side. And totally. uh, And,
0: and, you know, I think that we are incredibly lucky to be in this industry. Like specifically, like we have such a unique opportunity here. I don't think people quite realize this. I start to think about it a lot lately. All right. Like you're in Canada, you're on the other side of of the continent from me. And I have plenty of friends in completely other continents and countries and parts of the U.S., completely different cultures, different upbringings. Different yeah. interests and hobbies, different families. And the only thing that we happen to share is that we make software for a living. But other than that, like yeah. everything is like completely different.
1: And it's interesting, like just when it comes to snowboarding.
0: Well, we have that in common too.
1: Oh, yeah, we have that in common. But I think what's interesting is, you know, there's a time in my life where that was kind of one of the main things that defined my life, you know, in high school. I started snowboarding I think when I was in grade 9, so mm-hmm. 14 or something. Had skied before and you know, and where you live you're I, you're like close to some mountains. So I grew up in Stony Plain which is about 4 hours from the Rockies. So we had a local hill that was just like a pile of garbage that had been turned into a ski hill and then we had another one that was like in a river ravine, so really small. But then we would do big trips to Jasper or Banff. And so those were four to five hours away. And then in high school, we would get these passes that would allow us to, we wake up early, you know, like four or five in the morning and then drive to Jasper and snowboard all day and then come home. Mm -hmm. So the weekend trip started to be a thing. And then British Columbia was right next door. So once or twice a year, we would do these bigger trips with friends and go to Silver Star and Big White and all the mountains I live around now. So yeah, yeah I mean, that, I, I
0: want to get into the snowboard shop in, in a minute, but like, so where you live now, is it
1: like, uh, yeah, we moved here for snowboarding. At least I did. We moved here <laughs> 10 years ago and my kids were a lot younger and I was just, like, I mean, you're like, dream. Just, what, like
0: a, like a. Within like a 20 minute drive of
1: 25 minutes from my house to the chairlift at Silver Star. Yeah. I'm so jealous of you
0: guys. Like, you know, I have a bunch of friends who I founder friends that we go snowboarding every year and most of them are like you. They live near ski and snowboard areas and I'm in Connecticut. Within an hour, there's like some pretty terrible hills, but I got to go up to Vermont to get some decent stuff like three, four hours from where I live and it's just yeah. It's not close enough to be like, I can go whenever I want. You know, I can't do like a half a day of work and a half a day on the hill. It's got to be a whole weekend or whatever it is, you know.
1: Yeah, it's pretty fun. I mean, you end up every year since we moved here, I've gotten a season's pass and you just end up doing a lot of two hour days where you'll like drive up, go riding for a couple hours in the morning and then be back around lunchtime and then you know that's the other thing that I, or whatever
0: i don't know how it is by you maybe getting the season pass makes it a little bit not as terrible but the price of being into snowboarding or skiing these days is just uh, dude, insane. yeah <laughs> i mean yeah, it's insane it's pretty- and that it's been insane for, for a number of years now but then once you have kids i've got a yeah. six and an eight year old who have been taking lessons for the last like three seasons so you've got like rentals and then lessons for them and then Or lift tickets. I mean, we go to a a crappy hill in the Northeast for one day, plus a hotel room, plus driving there. I mean, that's like a $1,000 weekend at least. Yeah. It's it's crazy. It's
1: pricey. I mean, and it's always been expensive, but it's gotten like the multiples of expense have gone up. It's just everywhere is more expensive. I think a family pass is at our hill is probably costs... Three or four thousand dollars a year, I think, mm-hmm. and I've just gotten a family pass every single year. Even as my kids have gotten older and not been as into it. Yeah, when right. we moved here, my dream was like they're all going to be pro skiers and snowboarders that they're going to love it so much. <laughs> and you know, they all learn to ski, and they like it enough to <laughs> do it a couple times a year or whatever. But especially my older two, they're they're like <laughs> definitely not as into it as me, yeah. but. You know, that's cool too. I One thing that's interesting to me is there's not a lot that's the same from when I was in high school with me, but two things that have kind of remained constant are snowboarding and music. And I mean, I like different types of music and my snowboarding has changed, but those are the two things I've always been into that stayed the same. And I just think it's so fun to be able to enjoy something for so long and have it evolve as i've gotten older
0: it is a great thing to be into as a as like a fun sport hobby and like for me probably you and, and everyone else who does it is i love that it's so seasonal like like mm. i'm already like so i can't wait for the snow to, to get here and, and get into another season and but the thing that i love about it now as an adult and a business owner is it's one of the few things that really takes me out of the it makes me present you know going down the mountain on a snowboard like you have to be present (laughs) like otherwise you're gonna hit, hit a tree or something right so like that's one of the things that like for me is like a forcing function to like it's relaxing it's active but it's it relaxes my mind you know when i'm going like i'm not thinking about what do we need to ship this quarter? What does our MRR graph look like? What are competitors doing? I'm not thinking about any of that shit. I'm just thinking about like having fun today.
1: Yeah, I dig it that you can go by yourself or with friends. Like Mm -hmm. it's those are very different experiences, but or with your kids, that's a a totally different experience too. But, you know, going up by myself, there's just something about that of being kind of out there and you get off the chairlift and you head off, you know, down through the trees or whatever. And then you can just sit down there and it's completely quiet. And yeah, it's really an amazing thing. Feeling, oh, it's kind of unlike anything else. I've never been into surfing. I've skateboarded a little bit, but the quiet of the mountains and just how big they are. And yeah, that and also if you're riding good snow, there's also this feeling of just floating that is and being in a flow state that's just unlike anything else. It's just so amazing.
0: And I grew up Uh, uh, skiing and then I switched to snowboarding when I was like a teenager. And then I stayed on the board for my whole adult life. And then like two seasons ago I tried skiing once and and yeah. I picked it up. Like, it's kind of like riding a bike, but like, I was like, it's just not as fun. Like just yeah. the movement is not as fun as on a snowboard, so.
1: Yeah, I want to try skiing again. Cause I was the same. I, I skied when I was a kid and have just snowboarded. And snowboarding is not as popular as it was. Like the shaped skis that came along really helped the ski industry. <laughs> and so my kids all ski my daughter snowboards, although the boys this year are saying they want to learn snowboarding. So we'll see. It's a hard switch when it, you're And it's hard to learn to s-
0: for a beginner. Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. And and I mean, I usually still recommend people for their kids. I think it's easier for kids to learn skiing first. That's uh, uh, my, my daughter has been um, they
0: both are learning skiing. And my older one is starting to ask, like, when can I learn snowboarding? I'm like, let's just get you solid on the skis <laughs> first. You <know>? Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> And there's like this, you have to learn how to get on and off lifts. And if there's rope toes or T-bars, those are just so hard to navigate if you're a beginner on a snowboard, but on skis, it just makes more sense. But I would like my kids to try it out. I think in my mind, it's just been like, oh man, it's like another thing for them to learn now. Mm -hmm. And they would have to start basically right at the beginning, although they know how to get on and off a lift and all that. I think that, that does help.
0: Let's talk about the business of the snowboarding industry. All right. So I've heard you mention sort of in passing a number of times that you used to run a snowboard shop. Like give us the quick history. Like, was that like literally your first business? Did you have any jobs before that? Like what, how did you even get into that?
1: So in college I did two years of business and then I knew this guy in my town, Randy Jesperson had a snowboard company called Olive and uh he's probably four or five years older than me, but he was like him and his brother Corey were like hometown heroes they were snowboarding you know they were in the first wave of snowboarding and were competing with like Jeremy Jones and pros like they've got you know, contest rosters where they were there and, you know, sometimes beat like really well-paid pros. And like many of those early guys, he ended up getting knee injuries and having to have surgery on both his knees. And so he went into the manufacturing side. And so he had this company, Olive Snowboards and Skateboards. And I asked if I could do my practicum, my, uh, my internship for college there. So, hmm. after so you went to first school for, for like a business degree? Yeah. Yeah. First, my business diploma. And then after that, I worked with him. And so you're uh, one of like the
0: rare I, founders in our industry that actually went to school Pretty impressive. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and I always kind of joke that it wasn't that helpful, but there were parts of it that were helpful. And I think getting an excuse to talk to Randy and get him to hire me yeah. was you know, it's an experience I'll never forget. And so, yeah, I did my internship with him. And then after I graduated, I continued on with him for another year, I think. So they, uh, they start- are a,
0: they're a manufacturer of boards or is it like a yeah. retail shop?
1: Yeah, manufacturing. Yeah, okay. so that was like my kind of my introduction to the industry. Yeah, they're still around, all of com, And by this point, His whole story was so interesting because he was like a really good snowboarder and then had these injuries and had to pivot. And then he started making these snowboards. And because he was a snowboarder, he and he was also just kind of engineering minded. He knew how he wanted to build these and shape them. And so he he was doing all of this by himself And then it got popular in Japan. So he started building all these boards for Japan and was doing great. But then there were so many orders (laughs) that he had to hire somebody. And they really messed up on an order. And it almost bankrupted him as a company. And so I was the first person he'd hired since then. And he's kind of like... He's just... (laughs) a really unique guy, like he's kind of uh, grumpy and just doesn't like working with people. And so I had to really prove myself. I wanted to work in the office, like I wanted to do business stuff, like sales and marketing and, you mm. know, all that stuff. But he was like, no, you gotta start working in the shop. And I'm terrible. And what, what year at, is this? This About? is probably 2019, I'm guessing, 2020. 2019? What? Yeah. Yeah. Like three years ago? Oh, sorry. Sorry. 2009. <laughs> not Even earlier than that. No. This is 1999 or 2000. Yeah. 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 I graduated less, in college yeah. in 2000. Yeah. 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 Uh, <laughs>
0: Justin quits transistor to, to start a snowboard company. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, yeah. I'm 19 or 20 at the time. And... He gets me working in the shop, and at this point, we're mostly so. I mean, 90,
0: ninety-nine. I mean, snowboarding is already pretty big at that point. Like it's Bart, yeah, it, is a, is a big had, deal by that point, and like all that.
1: Yeah, snowboarding was at that point. You know, the first wave had already happened for sure, and that was probably actually peak snowboarding. I think my generation was peak snowboarding, like ninety-five to two thousand five. Yeah. Is probably but the best that's the industry the has ever I, been.
0: We're probably around the same age, and I, yeah, I, I picked it up in like high school and into college. And, yeah,
1: I mean, it's hard to explain to people now, but snowboarding was a cultural phenomenon. Like every mm-hmm. kid had a snowboarding poster on their wall, whether they snowboarded or not. It was like yeah. every kid was buying Snowboarder magazine, whether they were a snowboarder or not. It was like everybody wanted to do it. It's it's one of the Music was like this, too. These big kind of trends would sweep through my schools growing up. I don't think it's like that anymore. It's funny. I it wonder was- how
0: how people view it. Because like, I know exactly what you mean. When you and me are in high school, middle school and high school, probably, mm-hmm. snowboarding is the cool, edgy, new thing. and And it goes like hand in hand with like loud music and like, and just being a teenager. Yeah. And it's a it's a thing for the young kids to do. So when you're on the mountain, it's only the youngest kids are on the boards, the older people are on skis, right? Yeah. And so now today, I mean, we're like the older people on the mountain now, <laughs> but like in a lot of the mountains, it's like half and half roughly. And like you said, like skiing has made a resurgence, I think. But I wonder about like new people getting into skiing and snowboarding today. Does snowboarding still have that young edge thing to it like if you're no if you're totally new to mountain sports and you're just thinking like well should i be a snowboarder or a skier back in the day it would have been like well am i cool enough to be a snowboarder but now it's like yeah anyone can do either one you
1: know yeah yeah it's it's much more and it's lost its cultural significance like it just snowboarding and skateboarding and punk rock and grunge like they all informed the culture in a way that has just never been repeated. It was a dominant cultural force. Like people were like you would turn on MTV and there would be snowboarding. You would go to a friend's house and watch a snowboard video. I mean, and especially in Canada, it was like every ski hill, every ski resort that it was just packed with kids who are snowboarding. And so on the weekends, that's what we did. We drove, you know, 45 minutes to Rabbit Hill, which is this shitty little hill in a river valley, but we would just hang out in the park all day and ride jumps and whatever or we were out in at a, our friend's house in the country making jumps and, you know, pulling each other behind a skidoo or something. So it was just such a dominant force and my kids, because my kids are all in high school, except for my daughter. She's in college now. So they're older and I can just there's no like dominant cultural force like that anymore. It's like for me and my friends, it was like everybody decided to snowboard. And then it was like maybe my grade 12 year, a lot of my friends started skateboarding and I was a little bit late to it. But it was still like a big movement in the culture you know we were all kind of doing things together everybody was going to punk rock shows yeah together it was like my whole graduating class i mean there was kids who listened to country music and stuff but we had a big group that were like the snowboarders the punk rock kids the skateboarders like that was a, a defined group I want to get into and, like the
0: music side and, and maybe in the next uh, conversation here, but because yeah. it's, it's true, like that too ha- played a huge role in the in the movement. We'll get into it in a minute, but the I don't see the same sort of thing happening in music today.
1: No, uh, no. But
0: and, I, what I'm curious about is like how you went from okay, you're learning the ropes in the industry, working at oh, the yeah. all of snowboards to how do you have your own shop? What does that look like?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I got introduced to the industry. I got taken to a lot of events and trade shows. We were like going to Slam City Jam in Vancouver and meeting all these skateboard pros. But a lot of these skateboard pros are also snowboard pros. All have started making snowboards again. And I was just kind of in it. You know, once I graduated, I was at the end of my business degree now. So I did my two year diploma, went back to get my full degree bachelor's degree in business. And I had just always dreamed of owning my own shop. And honestly, in terms of business in my town, like I didn't know anybody who was an entrepreneur bigger than Main Street. Like Mm -hmm. Main Street, having a shop on Main Street was kind of, those were the only entrepreneurs I knew. And so I thought, well, if I'm going to start a business, I just kind of looking around me, what's available? What is Possible, it was like, well, I got to start a Main Street business. And, you know, I'd met all of these other shop owners through Olive. And so I thought a, a handle on how it all worked. And I'd been on the supply side. So I knew, you know, how pre orders worked and how, you know, you'd get exclusives with different brands at the time and how you would apply for distributors and all that stuff. And so I thought, well, this would be a fun time to do it. And I teamed up with the initially it was like I was working a full time job. And so we hired my brother to manage it, my younger brother. And I'm probably 21 at the time. And then my friend Adrian was a skateboarder and I had started my first business ever really was in grade 12 with him. We would put on a rave together. And actually, done really well. And so, another cultural
0: um, force of the 90s.
1: Yeah, another <laughs> cultural force of the 90s. And so, it just seemed like, oh, this would be great. Adrian and I, you know, he's a s- skateboarder, I'm a snowboarder. I'd worked in the industry, and it just felt like this is going to be a great combination. And, and, and the he was idea actually like, very,
0: like location wise, you want to do it in your hometown where, where and, you
1: were, And we wanted to do it in our hometown, which is probably a mistake because. Stony this was Plains. the area
0: that that's like not that close to big mountains, or
1: yeah, it's we're like yes, Stony Plain and Spruce Grove are these bedroom communities. But to that could Edmonton. still work that's
0: too. I mean, like like I grew up in uh, in Long Island, New York, and then even up here in Connecticut. Like, there's plenty of snowboard and ski shops in the suburbs for for these families who who buy stuff. And yeah, go take road trips, right?
1: I think the problem was that Edmonton was still close enough. It was 30 minutes away. It's a city of 1.2 million people at the time, probably. And I mean, I've written a, quite a bit about the real deal. The shop was called The Real Deal. I've written about uh, quite a bit about, you know, the mistakes we made. And I think one is just ignoring people's natural momentum. So if you're a teenager in Stony Plain or Spruce Grove, on the weekends, if you're going to go shopping, you want to go to the big city. You want to go to Edmonton because it's exciting, right? It's mm-hmm you can hit a bunch of stores you can go out to eat you can cruise white avenue and you know all the the cool strips in edmonton and we just ignored that that natural momentum and thought that people would care about uh like ideology like shop local but mm. people actually don't give a shit about that stuff you know what yeah. i mean but it was fun i mean we yeah so we started in 2001 i think And I think it closed in 2005. How So
0: like, just like business wise, like, how are you even able to, so it was like a brick and mortar store, right? Like you rented a a space. We had
1: two locations, which was another mistake. (laughs) (laughs) And it's Um,
0: retail, right? So you got to like buy a bunch of inventory. Like, did you, what did you do? Like get a loan or how did that work?
1: Yeah, it was tough. It was like, cause we were young. And so our initial location, you know, got it, got the location. Retail is like, especially when you think about starting a uh, internet business, like I started Transistor with John, I think we each put in five grand. (laughs) And like retail, you have to pay, it is so many, so much startup logistics. Like you're getting a lease on a place where you're, you're usually charged per square foot. And it's triple net, which means you pay (laughs) a square footage fee, but then you also pay your gas, your electricity, your phone, all that stuff. And you're responsible for hooking all that up. So we got a location and then you have to call up the gas company and get them to give you service. But they're like, oh, well, we can be there in six weeks or whatever. And then you got to call the phone company and they got to come in. And meanwhile, you're calling... And you're like designing a shop.
0: This is like a retail and, shop. Yeah. And that, you're getting to be, buying. It has fixtures. to look awesome. It's a, it's a snowboard shop, right? Like,
1: yeah, you're buying fixtures, which are not cheap, you know, shelves and crazy. display cases. <laughs> and and it's crazy
0: just to think like how many this is sounds so dumb, but like just stores and restaurants and retail shops there are in the world. It's like and yeah, like my uncle ran a clothing store. My grandfather ran a supermarket like it just seems like the most insane business it no is, matter what I, industry you're in it just it's like business on hard mode you know
1: yeah i often say it's like the logistics and sophistication of being like a small business owner running a retail shop it's way harder way more sophisticated way more logistics than a software company mm-hmm. and your margins are way lower and what you're risking is actually way more so you're risking all these startup costs it's not we did it as cheap as we could but you know i know people that spend a hundred grand just getting their space set up right Um, and i mean like say what you want
0: about like validation or or market research or whatever but it is such an upfront investment no matter which way you slice it like you got to be pretty damn confident that you can sell a bunch Mm -hmm. of snowboards yeah i think we could have
1: mvp'd it a bit like we could have sold skateboards out of the back of a truck at the skateboard park or there's other things we could have tried first but at the end of the day you've got to eventually you got to commit and the commitment and risk is just massive and then once you get all that done so let's say you put tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars just getting the store set up and you're signing a lease which puts yeah. you on the hook legally for thousands of dollars per month that you've got to legally pay even if it doesn't work out And then, you know, at this time I'm 21 and I realized quickly that, well, first of all, you can't order anything. Like there's no in-stock ordering. You have to pre-book everything. So Mm -hmm. six months before delivery, you are going through tons and tons of order forms for all sorts of different manufacturers. You know, you see you got your Burton order form and all these things. And you're basically trying to allocate budget Betting your money, your cash, that whatever you order today is what a fourteen-year-old is going to think is cool in six months. Yeah, it's an insane bet. It's just such. Yeah. And a then you have, in retrospect, retrospect, I mean, it must have
0: been like the seasonal thing, right? Like, not only is seasonal for sales, but like you're saying, like pre-orders, right? Like you're you're ordering for. So, like snowboard shops today are ordering for winter, like twenty-four, right now, right? Like,
1: yeah. Uh, Yeah, you're ordering way ahead of time. Hey,
0: real quick. This podcast is sponsored by Instrumental Products. That's my product studio, where I and my small crew, we take new product ideas from concept to launched. I'm a full stack product designer and developer, and I love collaborating with fellow founders, creators, and SaaS companies to bring that spark of energy into new product ideas. Think of instrumental products as your shortcut to shipping that next idea and getting it into the hands of your customers as efficiently as possible. Got something to ship? Let's talk. Visit instrumentalproducts.com to learn more.
1: I mean, just think of all the things that can happen in six months. Like these days, COVID hits, (laughs) there's a recession, whatever, you know, like COVID hits. And if someone booked a bunch of snowboards, but all the resorts are closed because of COVID, there's nothing you can do. And you start off with all of these manufacturers and distributors, you start off with no payment terms. It's just, you know, you got to pay on delivery, basically. Mm -hmm. And then eventually you convince them to give you 15 days and then 30 days and then 60 days and then 90 days. But all of this stuff has an expiry date, meaning you also have to get really good at knowing when to get rid of stuff -hmm. Quick. And even to the point where I don't think people realize how many retailers are often selling things for cost or under cost just because having something sitting on your shelf too long is just death. Mm -hmm. If you have inventory that's just sitting there and you miss the window of opportunity to sell that thing, you've got to get rid of it quick because the next season's coming and you've got a bunch of deliveries that you yep. booked six months ago that are yep. going to show up at your shop. And, and you that's, can't have, that's
0: literally like cash you've already spent is sitting there on your shelf. So you have to, you have to like, yeah, get at least some of it back.
1: Yeah. And I mean, the, things like if you had a record shop, it's a little bit easier because that Iron Maiden record is going to be the same today as it will in six months. Mm-hmm. But snowboarding was so fashionable and skateboarding was so fashionable and plus, and like the
0: snowboards are every year, they come out with like, there's a 99 and yeah. then there's a 2000. And That's maybe, right. Even of, like of the same board. Like if you want to buy the Burton Custom, like kids are not going to want to get last year's model unless they want to deal on no. it.
1: Right? Like, oh, especially back then. Like yeah. now I think it's gotten a little more chill, but back then it was, it was so stylish to snowboard that, you know, if you bought a new snowboard in 99, you better hope it's a 99, right? Because you're going to be showing up at the hill, you know, rocking that gear. You don't want to be, buy a new board, but it's technically last year's board. And the other thing is that I think a lot of people don't realize is that the hard goods in that business, which is snowboards and skateboards and bindings and boots and all that stuff, the actual core part of the sport, you actually don't make that much money on that. What you make money on is the clothes the outerwear, the snowboard jackets, T-shirts, jeans, mm. skateboard shoes, hats, accessories. That's where you would make full markup. The sweet spot for a skateboard shop or a snowboard shop would be, you know, you buy a T-shirt for 15 and you sell it for 30 And even then, like there's other costs, like you were paying delivery fees on that. You were paying, you know, costs to a pricing sticker on it. To Crazy. have a hanger to hang it on, to have a shelf to hang it on, but your dream was to be able to buy something for fifteen and sell it for thirty, and then skateboards and snowboards could be like a thirty percent markup. So you might. Did you buy have a board any
0: uh, anything going in the summer? Like, so you were doing skateboarding stuff too?
1: Yeah, it was snowboarding in the winter, skateboarding in the summer, and then clothing. At the time, we hit kind of the end of skateboard and snowboard fashion being popular in the wider culture. Mm-hmm. When I was in high school, like almost every kid was wearing Etnies or Americas or Lakai or a skateboard shoes. And that was, you know, a massive market for a long time. DC shoes was like, that was incredibly popular. And we were at the tail end of that. And also at the same time, Previously, skateboarding was all about exclusives. So you'd get an exclusive for Volcom and you were the only shop that could sell Volcom in your area, which was Mm. great for retailers because if you were a kid and you were just super into that brand, you would go to wherever had that brand. But then right when we were starting our shop, the trend was Volcom was opening up their own outlet store in some strip mall somewhere and selling things direct to consumers internet ordering was just kind of coming online as a a thing in 99 and 2000. So the competitive I was actually just going to ask about
0: that to sort of like wrap up this section. Like, so it sounds like your snowboard shop was like sort of the beginning of online retail. Like, were you guys actually, did you have a website? Did you sell anything online? Oh, yeah. Or was it all?
1: Yeah. And I was always a nerd. So I've been. But I
0: mean, like, even if you had it, like, are people comfortable yet with like ordering snowboard stuff online oh. at that time?
1: Not as much. I mean, you just needed more infrastructure. Like we couldn't do it. We paid quite a bit of money for credit card processing, but to get it online was way harder. It was just so yeah. difficult. So the only people that could really do it were the big manufacturing companies and the biggest snowboard shops in Canada and the US. They but were I mean, like consumers, offer.
0: like just in, in the year 2000, like people are online, but they're not really buying stuff.
1: Yeah, I remember when I started to feel it, it was like kids would come in and say, I just bought 10 blanks. So like blank skateboards, which were always kind of cheaper. I just bought 10 blanks on eBay. And that was when I was like, oh my God, like this is really gonna start hurting retailers Mm -hmm. because kids were, they had a PayPal account and they could go on eBay and they could get these boards that were made in China And, you know, they would order them in bulk and then they would have 10 skateboard decks for their whole summer. Now, every uh, every kid's bedroom is the
0: local skateboard shop.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So it was a super interesting experience. Like I said, I it ended up being quite painful because we lost quite a bit of money on the shop when it closed. But in terms of the experience and everything we learned and even like the one thing you miss with software is like we had a skateboard and a snowboard team. We were organizing mm-hmm. these big snowboard trips where we'd rent a coach and kids would sign up and then we would take them all to a big resort in British Columbia. And that whole experience is not something that you get. You
0: know, I do think that like marketing in general in our world today in SaaS has become like stale. It's not mm-hmm. exciting anymore. And yeah, yeah there are very, very few SaaS companies that are doing anything that's like, oh, wow, that's different and cool. You know, I don't just mean like ad campaigns. I mean, like, like you're talking about like snowboard companies, like they sponsor snowboard athletes. You know, I was even just thinking the other day, like Apple every year does their big, you know, show to show off the new iPhone and the new watch and iPads and stuff. And like everyone in the world, like every media outlet like covers it because it's like, it's news and it's cool and it's a cultural thing. And it was more so 10 years ago when the iPhone first came out, but it's still a pretty big deal today. Like I was just thinking about this recently, right? Like, because they just announced the iPhone 14. And I'm just thinking, like, man, if there was like some version of this that a bootstrap software company can, I don't know, like hold some kind of event or have like a like an async video thing that's just like it doesn't have to be deceptive. It could just be like, look. We're building this really awesome product. Look at it. Look what we're building. We think
1: this is important. What can like make that happen? Right? Yeah. The other thing we used to do is, and every, every time there was a new snowboard video that would come out, and snowboard and skateboard videos were like big business because we sold a lot of those DVDs and VHS tapes. Now that part of the industry has just collapsed because everyone just puts just it on YouTube, on YouTube for free. Yeah. But at the time, it was like a full like snowboard video was a a big deal mm-hmm. and when we had our shop the forum team was like they were the biggest deal the biggest team everybody was following their work and they came out with this video called video gangs that was just a massive deal and we did a, a premiere for it at the local theater and then to start we premiered our team video so there's like the ability to like fill a theater with people that are just really excited about snowboarding and Mm -hmm. then to have these fun events and throw out t-shirts. And I mean, I guess conferences kind of have that feel now. Yeah. I was just going to say, there's
0: a few things that get close to it. Like you see companies putting on conferences. I think community is an interesting one. And we see like companies becoming media brands to like creating media content. Yeah. Which gets to be kind of interesting sometimes. I mean, we're about to take a, a pretty big bet with a community thing with, with zip message for coaches which I think will be different and it'll like live on its own domain and everything. But like stuff like that, that's like, it's hard to come up with stuff that's like creative. Then you do look at like the snowboard industry or some of these other hard, good industries. And it's like, it's a really different world over there. You know,
1: I mean, it's one reason. There's more
0: interesting things you can do from a marketing and branding perspective.
1: Yeah. But I think there's a lot you can learn and especially the gorilla marketing kind of mindset, like skateboarding and snowboarding. And mixed in there, there was some other cultures like the punk rock culture and the graffiti culture, but they invented guerrilla marketing. Like Shepard Ferry was a skateboarder and a graffiti artist that came up with Obey and it was just like something he was stenciling all over the place. And people were like, what is this what is Andre that? the yeah. Giant yeah. sticker that I see everywhere and stencil I see everywhere? And eventually that became a brand because people would see it everywhere, like every city, every subway, it just spread. And I mean, with Transistor, we've done, I've always done stickers and I've always done t-shirts. And whenever I can, I source new artwork that I think is fun and cool. And we just do print on demand through Printful. I think more software companies should do that. You can have a full like swag shop. You know, I I just give give stuff away.
0: I did uh some t-shirt runs with uh, not runs, like on demand with, with printful Yeah. Message. But I, I haven't really like executed like a thing where we have like a like a distribution of, of those. Like
1: Yeah, uh, yeah. We have a little online store that I send to people and I just tell them to like just pick what they want and then let me know, you know, what that's gonna be. But I mean that and I wrote about this a lot of my my lessons from the snowboard industry, I wrote about in this book, this little book called Jolt. And Swag is one of the chapters and in every job I've had, giving away t-shirts and hats and stickers has paid back dividends multiple times Mm -hmm. because you get someone like Arvid who's wearing a transistor hat and he'll post photos of it all the time and people will be like, hey, that's a transistor hat. We get so many mentions and people just talking about us because we're sending people t-shirts and hats and stickers. And that was something I learned from the snowboard industry. That was just what every snowboard company and every snowboard shop did is we all had our own for our shop. We had our own t-shirts. We had our own hoodies. We had our own hats. We had our own stickers and we had our own skateboards.
0: You got to like represent And you have like this audience that like they start to self-identify with like, like if I'm going to put on a t-shirt or wear a hat of something like there's got to be something deeper than just buy from this company it's like i like that like this company speaks to me as a person so i'm gonna go wear it you know
1: yes exactly yeah and i mean it also taught me you have to do it tastefully and you have to do it in a way that you want to make t-shirts that people actually wear but yeah so i learned all that through that through snowboarding it's i think there's lots of i wouldn't replace that experience for the world even though at the time closing the shop was painful
0: (laughs) yeah I, i can imagine well it was really cool to hear that story man Let's just kind of uh, roll into the next one. We're going to talk about music because it's so related. That does it for today's episode of Open Threads. What would you think? Let me know on Twitter or X. I'm at castjam, and you can find the full videos for all episodes of Open Threads on the YouTube channel for this podcast. That's YouTube.com/slash/OpenThreads. One more thing, I'd really appreciate if you'd give this podcast a five-star review on iTunes. That helps a lot. Thanks for listening. I'll see you on the next one.